Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Today I'm talking to director, filmmaker, musician, writer, and all-around good guy Ron Chapman today to talk uh, about his film, The Poet of Havana, which is about the internationally renowned musical artist out of Cuba, a musician by the name of Carlos Vervala. You are going to enjoy this interview. You're going to love the film. You've got to check it out. It's really, It really is quite a remarkable journey and uh, an amazing sort of musical journey, but it also gets into the history of Cuba and we see 30 years of not only musical history played out, but we see 30 years of Cuban history played out as well as Ron tells this very intricate story, really, and yet in such a beautiful way. Uh, great concert film, great musical film. You're going to, uh, I think, enjoy it for so many different reasons. And so I really do hope you stay tuned. And um, it's, you know, it's, you know, Ron and I talk about... The universal truth of the melody. How's that? Hope that resonated enough with you to to, to stay tuned. Um, DavidPeckLive.com for more information about other podcasts. And do you know what? Just don't touch that dial. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest uh, today, a, a documentarian, a filmmaker. Uh, Ron Chapman is here today to talk about his uh, latest film, his latest piece called The Poet of Havana. Ron, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us as a guest. Great to be here. So, so Ron, you're, you're clearly a, a filmmaker, but I understand you're a bit of a musician as well. Tell, tell me more about that. What, if, if, you know, quick overview. Do you play the, like the trombone, or what's, what's, your, what's, your, what's your instrument? What's your preferred instrument, Ron? It's very funny you mention that, because uh, actually when I started in, in school, I, I played baritone, horn, and trombone a bit. So it was, wow. it was my first instrument you just hit somehow. Ron, and let uh, me guess, uh, you, you got all the girls with the trombone and the and the, and the the, was it the French horn? I uh, know baritone horn. You didn't get you didn't get any girls. That was like that was the, the small tuba. It was a stupid looking thing, euphonium. It was called. Uh, it's, but um, 
but musician, I've been, I've been a musician. I play keyboards, I play guitar, I, I write songs, I play in bands. Um, I had a, you know, a, a history in the music business as a, as a, as a uh, manager, as a musician, as a concert promoter, as a club owner. Um, I, I, you know, record company. I did, did a lot of stuff in the music business for a long time. Wow. Okay. So you've been you've been deeply. This isn't just about dipping your foot in the industry, uh, the pool of the industry. You you've been fully immersed. Absolutely, absolutely. And my my previous film, The Assets Arthur Fogel, was uh, you know uh, all about the music business. So it was uh, you know a documentary that really talked about all the changes that have happened in the music business over the last fifteen years and and showed a. Uh, a peek behind the curtain and how the business, uh, the mm. big business of music works. So, so what what draws you? I mean, we we've got a finite amount of time here. We've got so many things I think to talk about. I'm I'm looking at a whole lot of notes. First of all, congratulations on the film. It's a be- it's a beautiful film. It's a a beautiful piece. It's a real uh, it's an art piece. It's a it's a te- it's a great documentary. But it's also I wasn't I don't think I was expecting such a concert film. Actually, you know, mm-hmm. I was really kind of blown away by that. And I love the way you articulate it and 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 sort of between interviews and 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 rehearsal and stage i mean it's it's a really nice almost triptych <laughs> in a way it's beautiful thank you yeah no uh, you know carlos you, you you can't you can't know carlos without knowing his music and, mm. and i knew from the beginning that i had you know it was a challenge i mean he's got such a a, a great great history such a large body of work and all of it's so important um but i needed to be able to, you know, live within the music and, and, and translate it properly uh, to give people who didn't speak Spanish uh, an idea, uh, you know, an understanding of the depth, the depth of his lyric, uh, and, uh, and and so I'm so glad that came through. So a couple, you know, it's really interesting that you say it that way. You needed to live within the music and translate it properly. One of the things I got, I took away from this is you almost... Like, I was drawn in right away. I mean, first of all, right with the images on the beach and almost, you know, like Carlos coming out of the ocean, you know, <laughs> which is really lovely on so many levels. But but I don't speak Spanish, Ron. Yeah. And and I, I almost felt like I didn't need to. And yeah. so there was a, there was, you know, and even in, I think even Benito del Toro talks about, you know, things being lost in translation. And, yeah. and, and the political impact of that as well, and especially with respect to Cuba. But in a sense, yes, you translated the music for me, but I kind of didn't need that if I, if I had been a part of that concert. Does that make sense? Well, you don't know how much sense that makes. I'll tell you, that when I started uh, in Cuba, I, was, I mean, I was working on another film. It's a music film also where I, I, I shot over 60 artists uh, for that film. But when I started in Cuba, I didn't speak Spanish. I knew, you know, five or six words. When I fell in love with Carlos's music, you know, I probably understood about 15% of what he was saying. That's how how bad my Spanish was at the time, and it didn't matter. Uh, So you and I uh, are simpatico here. I had the exact same. It was like when I heard his music, it it spoke to me. It was like I understood what he was saying without understanding what he was saying. Mm. It moved me, you know, hugely. I mean, emotionally. I was so touched by so many songs, and yet I was going... I don't really know what he's saying, but I think I know. I think I know what he's saying, and it's it's and that's the magic of music, you know. That's the magic of getting those when those components when they all come together when they work when when melody, instrumentation, voice, and passion mm. all come together properly. 
that's the magic that music has. You know, it is another language unto itself. And 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 after that, of course, I was inspired to to know what he was in fact saying. And and once I once I started doing that and got to the translations of uh, of what what he was saying, I understood why he had been called one of the top ten greatest writers of our time by his peers. Um, because he really is that, and that's why the film ended up being titled The Poet of Atlantis. And Ron, do you think some of that sort of camaraderie, or um, I don't know, can I say this musical commiseration, if you will, the mm-hmm. the way you you sort of felt you feel drawn right in? I, I would imagine the the effect that the concert would be the same, or if he pulled out the guitar like you've got him playing on a dock at a, at a lake, mm-hmm. or a, you know, mm-hmm. I would imagine there would be a similar effect. Do you think it's because you know we know the history to some degree? We do understand that 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 separation, some of what's gone on in Cuba and so on. So we relate on that level. Or is it is it kind of more of a melodic thing that that he, you know he talks about his music being very spiritual at a couple of points. Yeah. Somebody in the film at one point, I love this quote. I felt quote I felt an energy, a force that engulfed me. Right, yeah. like that's just so beautiful. And I think I think. Most of us who have who have been blown away by a concert have felt that same kind of force. Well, no question, and he is a you know he's an incredibly spiritual being. He's driven by spirituality. He's a great artist. He's an artist artist, and I think one of the things that's unique about Cuba and unique about Cuban artists is is, is the reason they're artists. You know, mm-hmm. they're not artists because they're thinking they're going to you know make. Uh, billions of dollars and have big fancy cars and houses, that's not an option for them. You know, most of them never get off the island, find a way off the island. There's no there's no big monetary payout. So they are artists artists. There are people who are drawn to art because they're artists and they're drawn to art and their only intent is to make great art, you know, not to try and pander to you know what the uh, the current the current taste is or, 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 or what the charts are playing or what will tour better? They do what they do uh, because of a passion and a commitment to art, and that I think is what you're hearing and what you're seeing in his music. I love, I so love the way you capture the the passion and the affection that every one of the guests, every one of the musical guests, every one of the, his friends shows the audience, even the warmth of yeah. that night. You've just really captured it so well. There's just such a friendly atmosphere, and I, I would imagine that's a testament too to Carlos's own generosity. It would, it, I, I would imagine. Everybody falls in love with Carlos. You know, it's like when I, when I that when you talked about that thing on the beach with the guitar. I mean, that was my first interview with Carlos ever. I, that was my travel guitar. I traveled with the travel guitar. And I brought it to the interview, thinking maybe I'd give it to him. He might play something. We might have a moment with it, and. You know, good instincts, I think, in retrospect. Nice. But, uh, I'm a little, Ron. But, I, ha- I have to say, Ron, I'm a little disappointed you don't travel with a trombone. But uh, <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't gone back to that instrument for a long time. Um, <laughs> I but, think it's uh, best for all of us, Ron. I think that's the reality. I think that's one of the reasons I haven't actually. <laughs> I'm doing you all a favor. That's right. That yeah, that's right. Yeah. But you know, you meet Carlos, and and it's like you know, I I felt I had met someone I'd known all my life, and I think. That's part of his magic, you know, and, and everybody who meets him and, and gets within that aura really feels like there's a special relationship. That's part of his magic. That's part of what's really unique about him. He's a, he's a, a very special, unique 
person in that in, in that respect, and, and and that you know that emanates from the stage and to mm-hmm. the audience, and the audience feels like they're part of his world. I, you know, and especially of course in Cuba, where you know what he's saying uh, so represents what they're feeling, and 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 he's articulating in a way that, that they can't. Uh, yeah, he's he's a, a you know a very unusual and uh, and unique individual. I loved, um, and I can't remember who it was who who said it in the film, but somebody said Carlos. Uh, speaks to the Cuban condition, and I just yeah. thought that was lovely on so many levels. Uh, you know, obviously Carlos speaks to the human condition, uh, it seems to me, um, but in this case, because he does have a universal appeal, right? I mean, this isn't just about Cuba. He's clearly had a, the splash and ripple effect is gone far and wide. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great insight. You know, where it, you know people in Cuba... Carlos and, and and you know people say that you look at Carlos's body of work. I shot that on, on the anniversary of his thirtieth thirtieth uh, year as an artist. You know, you follow his music, you see the history of Cuba in those thirty years in his songs in his music. But what really knocked me out, and why I you know realized that I had to make a film on on Carlos and what I wanted to communicate in that film was not that you know he was just the voice of the Cuban people and the heart and soul you know, the cortisone and the alma of the Cuban people, but that he spoke about universal, he sang about universal issues. Any Mm -hmm. one of his songs, even though it may have been inspired by something that was uniquely Cuban, you could apply to someone who lived anywhere in the world. They have universal appeal, and and that is why his peer groups have have said he is this great artist. It's not just that, you know, he has this little Cuban niche. He's, a, he's an artist who sings about the universal condition in his songs. Well, the song, uh, and I, I can't remember the name of it uh, in Spanish, but the, the, the song about William Tell is astounding. Guillermo Tell. It's, it's astounding. Yeah, Guillermo Tell. It's it's astounding yeah. melodically, but it's astounding from a from a storytelling perspective. You know, it had, I mean, it just. Talk, I know he doesn't. I think I read somewhere he doesn't really like being compared to Bob Dylan, but I couldn't help but think about the narrative thread through most of yeah. Dylan's work or Tom Petty's work or people like that over the years. Yeah. You know, this this and and Will, the William Tell. I mean, how can you not? Who hasn't who hasn't taken on a higher power in one way or another? You know. Yeah. You know, his, his rendition of that story and how he applied it, you know, and, and whether, whether you then take that and, and, and say it's about, you know, a people and a political entity or whether it's mm-hmm. about a son and a father or whatever that relationship is, you know, it, I mean, the artistry of the way that he spun that story and the emotion that you feel during that time is, is you know, overwhelming and you see it in the audience and their reaction. I mean, you know, his songs, you know, literally tear your heart out. He uh, he finds a way to touch a nerve, uh, to, to 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 make you feel uh, things that you know in a way that only a great artist or a great poet or a great statesman could. I think I think one of I mean I've got so many favorite lines out of the film and moments, but one of my favorite lines is "Piracy has always been a blessing in Cuba." <laughs> yes. That's interesting, you know, because, I mean, piracy buried the industry here. Or, or, you know, buried the industry. It buried the industry and it, it buried the artists. It took away uh, their livelihood in North America. It was an awful, awful thing in terms of the effect it had on the livelihood of artists, on the livelihood of the companies that tried to support artists. It did make the music more accessible 
two people. Uh, the question is, you know, what music have we lost because of that? But in Cuba, uh, you know, piracy uh, was always there, you know, and that's how people got music, you know, because either they couldn't afford it or, or it wasn't, you know, it wasn't allowed and it was the only way it got distributed. So it's actually, you know, it's something they lived with all their lives as a blessing, as opposed to us who've lived with it here for a short time and certainly to the artists and the industry, it's been a curse. Well, it's really interesting. Earlier on in the film, he, he talks about that whole underground movement, which must have been huge in, in a communist country uh, in, at the time, uh, how, how his music was obviously pre-internet and so on, and, yeah. but, but on cassette tapes being handed, you know, literally mm-hmm. handed to other people to say, hey, to ch- yeah. ha- check this guy out. And so he talks about that. And then, you know, he talked about how difficult it was to put a concert together and how we just, you know, threw it together. And But but he re- he relates the one, one time where he said, um, where he was at an event and people were singing back to him. And he realized mm-hmm. that his music was getting out there. And he, and he said something to the effect of that, you know, I, I realized that writing songs now made sense. And I love this yeah. thing that he said. And, 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 and this is connected to the notion of pirate which I love, I love this irony, but he says, that was the day I met myself. And I go, okay, I'm getting a shiver right now as I quote that line, and, and I can hear some of the songs, and I go, this guy is every man. Yes, he's clearly yeah. gone on to do wonderful things musically, the Poet of Havana, and the lyrics, and telling stories, and all of that, but I think for me, Ron, what, what I resonated with was his authenticity, his his yeah. his deep sense of humanity. I'm just a guy. I, yeah, I write some good songs. I get that. But at the same time, I I love my country. I want to live here, and I'm I'm just I'm trying to make sense of it all, you know. And there's still this sense that he's growing, and he hasn't quite, you know, um, figured it all out. If that makes sense. Absolutely. No. I. You know. He's. He's on a journey. He's a he's a committed artist, and uh, and and you know, he's a chronicler of his times. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, when when people said that you know you follow his music and you can see the history of Cuba, uh, I think you know that will only continue. He's fascinated by his environment and his world and, and what's happening and how it affects people. Didn't he? Uh, does doesn't he say near the end of the film something about he's still on the road to getting to know himself or something something along those lines? Yeah, he's still he's still searching for you know who he is and 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 what he what he can do and what he what what he can share. Um, I think like any artist, you know, I mean, look, you know, you 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 know, you, you finish an artistic piece and then it's a, it's a finished piece. You can go out and play it again and again. You can try and reinvent it, and but it's still something that you did. It's, it's you're always left with that. Well, what's next? You know, I mean, I finished my last film. It's an amazing journey doing the film and coming, but at the end, it's being shown and it's only being shown. I'm not doing anything anymore. I need mm. to be working. What am I doing next? What am I applying myself to? What's my next challenge? You know, you're driven as an artist to, to continue to produce. And that's why so many artists have been so depressed when they found they, you know, they haven't been able to find that next project, that next thing that gives them the gratification that they're looking for. Did you ever find as the director-producer that you were so involved with the minutia, the BS of the filmmaking process, that you weren't able to, you know, really enjoy the moment that you, you, you missed? Did you ever reflect back and go, wow, I wish I'd been more present? Um, that's an interesting question. You know, it, it's so much a part of my DNA, uh, the multitasking and dealing with, you know, 
so many of the issues at one time that I, I don't know whether I've ever stopped and and said that. I think you know, you know, part of part of it is is, is adjusting to the moment in right. a lot of senses in terms of getting things done. So you know, reacting, coming up with a solution, you know, going for this and finding out that it's not available and saying, well, how do I how do I come out of this with something and and coming up with that solution. So for me, the moment is, uh, you know, and because I've always been sort of the director producer on set, uh, you know, producing myself uh, while I'm shooting and, and what I need to do, it, it's, it's just a part of who I am. So those, so, so I, I do have those moments, but I do have them as a, you know, the director producer split. I, I would like to, you know, just be a director uh, mm. sometimes because um, there's no question. It's a lot more difficult. You know, it's it's a lot more difficult uh, trying to do both at once uh, while you're shooting. But you know, I've I've always had good teams around me. I've had you know good people, uh, and uh, you know, I had uh, you know two producers on the film with me: Jack Lenz and Carlos Iglesias, who is Carlos's manager also. Um, so you were in good company. Yeah, in good company. What do you t- what do you take away from it personally as as a as a filmmaker as a musician as a writer yourself I'm assuming you've you've written your own music over the years um, all the way back to the the brass instruments mm-hmm. um, what do you, what do you yeah what 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 your sense of growth you know how how does how does the splash and ripple effect of, of I mean maybe it's Cuba maybe the maybe the question really is about you know why the heck were you yeah. in Cuba in the first place you know and what is it about the country that touched you what is it about that that whole story that's resonated with you? Well, I guess you know going back to that, I was in Cuba initially uh, uh, to work with them to help them um, publicize tourism mm. as a, a commercial director as an agency uh, developing a campaign. Uh, and, and in doing that, I went across the country and probably now about three times shooting uh, Cuba. So I, I, you know, I've gotten to know the country quite well and the people quite well, the different parts of the country and the different peoples that live in different parts of the country. I, I've got an association with them and an understanding uh, and, and, and a lot of people. Um, and it demystified Cuba a lot for me mm. because I, I really hadn't known Cuba before that. Right. So... Um, you know, part of what I, I, I wanted to do with these films is to try and help bring uh, the real soul, the real people of Cuba to a world that really hasn't had a chance to experience it for a variety of reasons, you know, as a result of the, the restrictions of the embargo, the restrictions of travel on Cubans, and uh, the restrictions of travel on Americans to Cuba. Um, and, 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 and it did... Uh, you know, really revitalized my, my, my relationship with my music. I started writing again more. I, mm. As an artist, you know, I became passionate about getting back into music. I ended up uh, recording uh, two albums, one of which I just released about uh, a month ago. Oh, wow. Um, and, and I wrote all of the stuff while I was working uh, in Cuba. It was really very much inspired by, by that sort of pure, just go back to my, my roots and, right. and think about the art and nothing else. And, and I had sort of a vision of uh, a sound that I wanted to get, which was incorporating Cuban strings, Cuban horns, and Cuban percussion with my singer-songwriting style into sort of a unique blend and mix. And that's what I sort of endeavored to do. I recorded bed tracks here in Canada. I went and worked with one of the great uh, Cuban uh, trumpet players, the Rangers, uh, who included Pedron in Cuba. We recorded all the uh, strings 
horns and percussion in Cuba. And I came back and the album was mixed by Terry Brown, who is uh, uh, one of the you know great uh, uh, producers and, and engineers in Canada. Came from England, did all of Rush's early albums. Wow, he's worked with just so many great people, Jimi Hendrix, all kinds. Okay, of hang on. You got it. What's the name of the album? So it's just been released. Let's get a let's get a plug in there. What is it? The name of the album is As Worlds Collide. Nice. As Worlds Collide. And, uh, and uh, so, so, you know, that's part of what my relationship with Cuba, you know, inspired in me. You know, it's a life changer in that respect. And in terms of, you know, the film uh, with Carlos, I, I think I mentioned that I was shooting another film when I found Carlos, which was really an overview of... Uh, of Cuban music, uh, you know, I was so so overwhelmed by the diversity and different genres of Cuban music that I didn't know about. I started a film. Its working title at the time was "This Ain't the Buena Vista Social Club" because mm. I really wanted to show that there was so much more than just that one style of music, which right. was called song, which was really a pre-revolutionary style of music played by, you know, the older generation. There was really everything from rumba to rap uh, in Cuba, and. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, and and I discovered Carlos during during the filming of that, and 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 you know, with Carlos, I just think it's such a human story. You know, it's uh, his story is such a human story, and the story of the Cuban people is such a human story. Uh, At what you know, point, from before the revolution, through the revolution, to after the revolution, what they what they've gone through, is, uh, and and the country is just one of the most interesting uh, and unique countries in the world. Yeah, I was I was actually I'm fairly well traveled and had not been to Cuba and was able to get there just this past year with my family and had a marvelous time. Got into Havana and and spent a little bit of time on the beach and so on and you know obviously didn't dig too deep in in a ten day trip but but still mm-hmm. it was uh, uh, a remarkable visit. Ron, uh, we probably have to wrap up here in a couple of t- a couple of minutes here sadly, but maybe okay. we could maybe we can do a part two very soon. But but. At what point did you know that you had to make this film? So you're you're in Cuba, you're there working on behalf of of tourism, etc. And and you meet Carlos. When do you go? All right, now now I'm putting my producer hat on. Well, as I said, I was I was doing my other film where I shot sixty Cuban artists uh, and and interviewed over a hundred people and did a ton of B-roll footage across the country for, for my other film, which I just released uh, about a month ago. Uh, it was released at the Miami International Film Festival, and just uh, last week it was the uh, Tampa International Film Festival, Gasparilla International Film Festival, and won the Grand Jury Award for Best Documentary Film. Nice. And that film's called The Forbidden Shore. That's, and it was during that time that I met Carlos and decided I really needed and wanted had to do a film with him. And interestingly enough for Canadians, Carlos's manager, Carlos Iglesias, lives here in Toronto. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> and Carlos was visiting Toronto. And I was taking him up north to an island on Georgian Bay because I wanted him to experience nice. what the Canadian north oh, was. Oh, that's amazing. And and it was on the way up there in the car. We were talking, and, and he was talking about, you know, they were both talking about doing a 30th anniversary concert, putting something together in Havana and maybe filming it for a DVD. We were talking about that, and I said, you know what, let's do that, but let me shoot a film also about Carlos because I think there's a beautiful film here, and maybe we'll work the film to work around the concert uh, sort of as the center point, and then I'll build it out from there. And so it was uh, in a car on Highway 69 on the way to uh, an island in Georgian Bay that this film was actually born. 
That's awesome. That's a great story. I so love. I mean, there talk about incremental change, splash and ripple effect. Mm-hmm. You just you just never know, right? A conversation yeah. turning into a concert film. Honestly, it's it's a beautiful film, Ron. It really is. And and again, congratulations. Thanks um, so much for your time today. I I hope we can do a part two uh, down the road. What's uh, we're gonna we're gonna certainly put a link or two about the film, and maybe we'll put a link about your new album as worlds collide as well. And uh, up Thank in you. your up in your bio. What's uh, just before I wrap up here? What's what's next for you? Well. Uh, right now, I'm just taking my new film, The, the, the Forbidden Shore, yep. on the festival circuit. Actually, I'm, I've got a, uh, I've got a premiere in Washington, which is going to be really interesting, coming up in about two weeks. You know, nice. and, and that, that should be. I mean, you know, on the on the on the uh, on the heels of the Rolling Stones and, and Obama visiting Cuba, uh, you know, yeah. there couldn't be a better time oh, to the timing for that film and perfect. and for this film, you know, to, absolutely to hit the market. So. Uh, that, that's keeping me pretty engaged. I've got, you know, I've got about three or four other projects that I'm just in development on that are getting close to to, to completion. But uh, right now, I'm just focusing on getting these two out into the world and, and making sure that the world sees them. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you make a film or you make a record, whatever it is. You know, first of all, you do it for your own personal gratification because yes. it's a passion yep. and because it's something you need to do. Uh, and after that. You know, it's bonus, bonus if you can get right, it out there right. and the rest of the world can see it and, and take something away from it. And that's, uh, and that's actually where it actually gets, you know, you get, you get most gratification from is when other people are moved, have their lives changed or, or are influenced by, by work that you've done. Well, again, there's a there's a line in the film that I'm going to kind of uh, close close out the interview for now, and I, I think it might have been uh, Jackson Brown who said it. You know, the atmosphere at a concert with Carlos is it it makes you feel like you're in a temple, and and I mean I've felt that before, you know, and I visited lots of churches, lots of temples over the years with my travels in Southeast Asia and so on, and I can say your your film does the same thing, or certainly did the same thing for me. So. Again, thank you for for uh, such a such a uh, brilliant experience and and a beautiful film, and and for your time today, Ron. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on Face to Face. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking with you, and be happy to come back. Uh, happy to come back. We'll have to set up a part two in the near future. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.